0: forces. We were, therefore, quite ready to believe that for some time to come there would be wars between primitive and civilized nations, and between those divided by color, as well as with and among the partly enlightened and more or less civilized peoples of Europe. But we dared to hope differently. We expected that the great ruling nations of the white race, the leaders of mankind who had cultivated worldwide interests, and to whom we owe the technical progress in the control of nature, as well as the creation of artistic and scientific cultural standards, we expected that these nations would find some other way of settling their differences and conflicting interests. Each of these nations had set a high moral standard to which the individual had to conform if he wished to be a member of the civilized community. These frequently over-strict precepts demanded a great deal of him, a great self-restraint, and a marked renunciation of his impulses. Above all, he was forbidden to resort to lying and cheating, which are so extraordinarily useful in competition with others. The civilized state considered these moral standards the foundation of its existence. It drastically interfered if anyone dared to question them, and often declared it improper even to submit them to the test of intellectual criticism. It was therefore assumed that the state itself would respect them, and would do nothing that might contradict the foundations of its own existence. To be sure, one was aware that scattered among these civilized nations there were certain remnants of races that were quite universally disliked, and were therefore reluctantly and only to a certain extent permitted to participate in the common work of civilization where they had proved themselves sufficiently fit for the task. But the great nations themselves, one should have thought, had acquired sufficient understanding for the qualities they had in common and enough tolerance for their differences so that, unlike in the days of classical antiquity, the words foreign and hostile should no longer be synonyms. Trusting to this unity of civilized races, countless people left hearth and home to live in strange lands, and trusted their fortunes to the friendly relations existing between the various countries and even he who was not tied down to the same spot by the exigencies of life could combine all the advantages and charms of civilized countries into a newer and greater fatherland, which he could enjoy without hindrance or suspicion. He thus took delight in the blue and gray ocean, the beauty of snow-clad mountains and of the green lowlands, the magic of the north woods and the grandeur of southern vegetation the atmosphere of landscapes upon which great historical memories rest, and the peace of untouched nature. The new fatherland was to him also a museum, filled with the treasure that all the artists of the world for many centuries had created and left behind. While he wandered from one hall to another in this museum, he could give his impartial appreciation to the varied types of perfection that had been developed among his distant compatriots by the mixture of blood, by history, and by the peculiarities of physical environment. Here cool, inflexible energy was developed to the highest degree, there the graceful art of beautifying life, elsewhere the sense of law and order, or other qualities that have made man master of the earth. We must not forget that every civilized citizen of the world had created his own special Parnassus, and his own school of Athens. Among the great philosophers, poets, and artists of all nations, he had selected those to whom he considered himself indebted for the best enjoyment and understanding of life, and he associated them, in his homage, both with the immortal ancients and with the familiar masters of his own tongue. Not one of these great figures seemed alien to him just because he spoke in a different language, be it the incomparable explorer of human passions or the